and welcome back to another episode of DSLR Film Noob Dancing Podcast. I've got Mitch over there just doing but, a jig. But nobody... Oh, no, there I am. There he is, dancing about. He's actually very motivated today. Uh, <laughs> this morning, I don't know what's going on, uh, Windows updates hit and just sort of wrecked everything for me. Uh, NVIDIA drivers crashed. I've also been having some rather difficult times with uh, Premiere over the last couple of weeks and so on. But Mitch, what have you been up to, man? Uh, I've been watching the hurricane coverage, uh, Hurricane Matthew slamming into Florida today. Is that, how's that going? Uh, Matthew and Nicole, if I remember correctly, right? Yes. (laughs) What a happy couple they are. (laughs) Hanging out, just having a good old time. Um. It's it's actually going a little bit better for Florida than they had expected because uh, instead of the eye walls slamming into Florida, it's just going and and notice I'm using my uh, slinky uh, plastic slinky here instead of it slamming right into the Florida and going all the way up the edge. It's actually ten to fifteen miles off the coast, so they're not getting as much damaging winds, but they're still getting a bunch of. Uh, uh, surge, as they like to call it, and and the water is just as dangerous, if not more dangerous, than the, than the winds. But if you look at Haiti, my stars, the video coming out of Haiti, I feel so sorry for those people down there. Oh, man, Haiti always um, gets the worst. It seems like oh, every five years, that poor country gets slammed. Poor country. That's a bad pun, because oh. it happens to be the most poor country in the Western Hemisphere. That was uh, that was not my intention with that <sighs> statement, know. but uh, know, you but caught me there. I do really feel feel for those people, and if you have it in your heart to send some money to a charity that's working for them, please do. Now, on a little bit, uh, I don't know if it's more positive, but a warning to you guys. Um, I live in the Pacific Northwest, but I don't normally have to film in inclement weather. And uh, I was working in a rainy area for uh, the better part of two days or three days. And I'm going to hold my foot up here. This horrible uh, thing. <laughs> Look at There's my foot. Uh, apparently, if you leave your foot emulsified in moist shoes for a couple of days, it starts to cause some serious damage. Uh, your toenails come off and so on. It's uh, very unpleasant. So as a filmmaker, if you're nice. meandering about in moist weather, wear the proper shoes. Uh, I did not know this. I mean, I kind of knew it, but I didn't really think about it until it was too late. So uh, I'm going to be dealing with that for a couple weeks. Uh, sore feet and painful toenail issues. Wonderful Uck. time. Ugh. I'm very sorry to hear that. On that note, though, let's, uh, let's steer clear of the medical <laughs> issues and move on to the news. Time for the news. First up is this sort of surprising uh, announcement from Sony that came out after Photokina as opposed to before or during, which was seemed like the big camera announcement time, but now it's standing by itself with no other news to stop it. The A6500, <laughs> which is, I guess, the update to the A6300, which only been out on the market for about six or seven months. Uh, the addition here with this particular model is that they've now added image stabilization, touch focus on the screen, as well as the new LSI and Bonsai X processing that will give you a better low light performance 
and faster frame rates, I believe. I think it's uh, 11 <laughs> FPS now out of this guy and up to a thir- 300 uh, image buffer, I believe. So that's about 20 seconds or so worth of continuous firing uh, at 11 frames per second. Pretty sexy camera. APS-C, uh, 1.54 crop, I believe. Mitch, what do you think about what? this? Uh, it's, that's, that seems nicer than a, I don't know, uh, $3,500 Canon 5D Mark IV if you want to shoot crop 4K video. Huh. Uh, and by the way, it's Bion Z. Thank you. It's not... <laughs> not bonsai like the tree that not you trim? Bonsai. Sorry. Uh, Bion Z, which I had, I had not heard pronounced till I was watching a video about it yesterday. So, uh, and, and they call it the Bion Z X. I've been mistakenly um, calling it the Bonsai X for quite some time. <laughs> That's okay, DJ. That's why we love you, and, and we know it makes you a very unique individual. So, <laughs> uh, I've sold my 5D Mark IV. Uh, what? No, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Welcome I'm to the kidding. club. High five. <laughs> Virtual high fives. Um, this it, it indeed was a surprising announcement. Uh, came out of nowhere, although I had had a tip that Sony was having a press conference uh, and kind of wondered what the heck was going on. Uh, and I and I love, there's already a chat. Uh, IREP Guam uh, says, I can't wait for the Sony A6700 in January 2017. <laughs> <laughs> That's been the real slam. I mean, they just released the A6300 seven months ago. Yep. And here they are coming out with the 6500. So now everybody's kind of going, oh, wait a minute. Maybe I'm going to get something a little bit better in four months if this is a decreasing time frame. Even if six months. I mean, no offense, Sony, but this is crazy. And I frankly think you're you're shooting yourself in the foot for some people because... I I was reading some threads. Some people just bought the 6300 like, you know, yesterday. <laughs> and and suddenly bingo bango, here's here's another announcement. Now, it is $400 more than the 6300 is currently going for 1000 bucks. So, you are paying a bit more to get some additional features and and we all know that the 5-axis stabilization rocks. Definitely. Uh, I think that would be worth screen, $400. Yeah, the touchscreen is going to be killer stuff. They've got 425 phase detection points in their focusing system, which I've yet to test out. Uh, this this is something I'm actually interested in getting my hands on to test. I don't know that I would actually buy it, uh, but it's it's just kind of pissing people off. I've seen several rant posts already about people that are just angry at Sony for uh for releasing a follow-on so quickly this even has s-log and some other features that make it i don't know to me other than the headphone jack which is still a weird irritation sony has the special hot shoe that goes with uh, their line of cameras on this camera so you can actually put in a proper xlr phantom powered adapter without using a 3.5 millimeter jack at fourteen hundred dollars that's extremely attractive it's yep. um, it's you know image stabilization works on any kind of lens. So even if you're using manual focus lenses, you can put that on here and not have to worry about it. The flange distance is so small that you can adapt to pretty much anything. This is an all around great video camera, 
and a pretty sexy uh, photography tool as well. Now, the AF system from Sony, uh, the stuff I've used so far on the A7R Mark II and the A7S and the 5D Mark IV, I don't think no matter how many AF points Sony says they have, it's going to (laughs) be... Superior to what you get out of the A7 or out of the 5D Mark IV, uh, Sony's always increased the number, but the number doesn't necessarily reflect the quality of AF that you get. It, it right. is good, and I, I'll give it. I would say it comes close to what I've seen on the 5D Mark IV. But Canon's uh, dual pixel AF stuff has been surprisingly good. Uh, the AF system, especially tracking and image detection on the 5D Mark IV that I've tested, has been able to keep up with objects surprisingly well. And there hasn't been any demonstrations yet on the A6500, the touchscreen autofocus system, to determine whether or not that's going to be quite as good as what we get out of these higher-end cameras. But still, $1,400 versus $3,500? That's... Yeah. Uh, even if it's almost as good or reasonably close or 80% as good, that's still a heck of a freaking value. Yeah, and it might make a fabulous beat cam for all that matters to cool. your 5D Mark IV. And on top of that, you know, a GH4, which is a 2X, 2.3X crop or so, uh, this is in the same price range as that camera and gives you a better crop factor. Now... The question is yet to be answered on overheating. Um, what? When, we have to be worried about that? Well, so this is something that concerns <laughs> me about the, the possibility of the GH5. When you introduce five-axis image stabilization, that means that your sensor is floating around, right? Well, a floating sensor means that you have less contact capabilities with a heat sink. And with a stationary heat sink, you can dissipate way more heat than you can with a moving object where you're not going to really have the heat sink attached to it because of the, the need to move the sensor around. So you're getting lower thermal transfer to a heat sink, even if that whole assembly is mounted to a heat sink. We've already seen heating issues with the A6300. Now you take the heat sink capabilities and reduce them by giving you a floating sensor. And what are we going to end up with? Possibly even worse uh, uh, thermal overrun on something like this. Now, (laughs) I've looked at the design for the camera, and they do incorporate a lot more metal in the A6500 versus the A6300. So maybe that's their method of compensation, uh, more thermal heat sink capability with more metal around it. But I don't know. It's still a little iffy uh, as far as heat goes. It's 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 really kind of sad that uh, this has become an issue. So we have not only do we have small batteries, but we have to worry about the heat. Uh, I think we might have talked about it last week, maybe not. But the, my friends over at Lock Circle created a cage for the A sixty three hundred. Have you seen this? That has oh, a fan is that in that it? cute little fan that's at the bottom? That right. <laughs> and I've also I, and I've also seen. I mean. It, Creating a cage with a fan in it to try to keep your camera cool, that's, I mean... The fact that that's even necessary is ridiculous. (laughs) And I've also seen uh, several tips that people that have the A6300 talk about the, you know, the the LCD pops out and it articulates up and down. Mm -hmm. And they say, you know, if you want to make it last a little longer for the heat, make sure your LCD is at least standing out from the body of the camera so that there's... More heat dissipation. A little, little ventilation area there, and I'm like, oh, hard. Wow. But 
you know, uh, it's 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 an unfortunate situation. It's a great little camera. I'm, I I'd like to get my hands on one. Maybe I can convince B and H to send me one to do a little testing. So the uh, price on this guy is going to be about fourteen hundred dollars. Uh, expected to start pre-orders in October, so we may not see Monday. Uh, shipping until what maybe November. Uh, November. They, they said they said shipping in November. Uh, pre-sales start Monday uh, at ten a.m. I believe Eastern time or something like that. So if you go to the link in the show notes, if you're interested in buying this sucker. Uh, DJ has a link to his B and H Monday, October tenth at eleven AM, it says on, on B and H's website. That's Eastern. Yeah, now one more thing, and this is kinda to do with the upgrade cycle for Sony's. The A seven S Mark One and Mark Two are only what, about a year and a half apart? Oh, they've they've started yeah. adding touchscreens and uh, the, the new autofocus system to their uh, lower end cameras. Probably in about six months, we're going to see an A7S Mark III, I bet, that has touchscreen capabilities and better AF systems. Nice. Am I wrong? I, I, maybe I am, but it seems like know. that's what they're doing. Sony's yeah. refresh cycle is so fast that it's hard to even hold onto a camera before it becomes a paperweight in terms of value. Uh, the A7S Mark I dropped substantially down to like a twelve or $1,300 when the A7S Mark II came out, and that was you barely had the camera before the new camera came out. Uh, hopefully you can return your A6300 if you purchased it in the last <laughs> few weeks. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I suspect that many people would be We'll be doing that because they certainly won't get their resale value on them, I'm sure. Now, the next camera on the list from Sony, and they did announce two cameras. This is a camera that enjoys almost yearly refresh cycle, the RX100. Uh, this is their tiny point-and-shoot camera. This is the Mark V edition of this one. I believe the RX10 is also on the Mark V. Uh, this guy is capable of a crazy 24 frames per second burst mode at up to six seconds. There's that in parentheses. Uh, 4K S-Log as well as many of the features that they've introduced in both the a63 and a6500 including image stabilization and so on a sexy little camera and some pretty advanced features for something in the thousand dollar price range mitch what do you think about a point and shoot camera that has everything <laughs> uh not did you did you mention it has nd filters on it no, I did not, but that is also an, a really strange thing for such a and tiny little camera. Just FYI, we're getting DJ, you're having audio problems for some reason. I don't know. It's Am I sounding out? robotic. How's that? Try a little again. bit better? No, actually, it's still the same. It's not, I don't think it's peaking. I think there's some kind of issue. The chat room is mentioning it as well. Oh, so wonderful. Wonderful. I love I love the internet. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least it isn't me. Uh, which is interesting because if it's if it's not my audio and it's your audio then uh don't know what it is. Yeah, well, uh, as we continue to use Hangouts, we get to enjoy the wonderful oh. uh, issues of Hangouts. You sound better now. Continuing yeah. to work. Huh. Magic Anyways. Fix. Yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah. the RX100. Back to this guy. 
I was just surprised when I was watching a, a video. I think uh, B&H put out a video where they interviewed a Sony guy. And he started talking about ND filters and peaking and zebras or something. And, and I had to actually rewind a little bit. And I was like, you mean the RX100-12 or whatever number it is? And uh, it's got ND filters, whereas the A6500 doesn't? Why would, why would they put it on the little camera and not the big one? <laughs> that just seems really weird. Well, I think um, in the little point-and-shoot camera, the ND filters they're using is that uh, LCD technology where it it sort of uh, darkens based really? on a layer of LCD over that. Because nice. how else would you fit an ND I filter into that small of a camera? I mean, uh, anything else would be impractical. It's not as though you're going to drop a lens element or a filter element over the sensor so it has to be the translucent lcd tech that they're using in uh, many of these adapters now and you see also in those variable nds uh, and sony does have their what is it, the s slt trans no t- translucent right. something layer i checked on that by the way because we we're talking about Did that it? last episode yeah and it does not move so it does in fact reduce light into the camera that is stationary i have the adapter i played around with it mitch was absolutely right on that one Woo-hoo! he's dancing back there uh <laughs> i guess i you know i never really played i used it but i just simply adapted lenses to it never really thought about it and uh that is the same technology we're seeing in the a99 and uh whatever other <laughs> sony cameras continue to come out now this has an ND filter in it. Uh, it has 4K shooting, no microphone input. Uh, you'll notice there's a lack of a hot shoe on this as well, so you can't use their fancy-dancy uh, K1M or K2M XLR audio adapters with it. But still, as a secondary camera, this offers a lot. The only issue I have with this, and it's something that sort of frustrated me in the point-and-shoot market, and I know point-and-shoot isn't the most uh, exciting market out there, but... Panasonic has been offering a micro four-thirds sensor in a point-and-shoot camera. Uh, Sony has continued to stick to a one-inch sensor, so you don't get nearly the depth of field out of of the one-inch sensor that you do out of Panasonic's offering. And that's what's continued to excite me. Well, I don't know about excite me, but keep me (laughs) in the LX100 camp and continue with the Panasonic line is because that camera offers... A beautiful compromise between uh, a DSLR look and a pocketable point-and-shoot camera. Now, I would argue that the RX100 is more pocketable because did you see how freaking small that thing folds up? It's like maybe an inch and a quarter or less. You could literally fit that into skinny jeans. Whereas the LX100 has a much bulkier lens because it's covering a, a larger sensor, so not as pocketable, but definitely carryable. I, I, don't, I don't have any skinny jeans. <laughs> yeah, nor nor do I. Uh, <laughs> so, Mitch, I guess the first question, do you have any point-and-shoot cameras in your collection? Um, actually, darn it. Where is it? Oh. I can't reach it without ripping off my headphone. Yes, I do. It's 20 years old. Never mind. It was a joke. <laughs> uh, it, it it shot like five five pixels at a time or something. I don't it was It was a, a Canon power shot thing. Um, we haven't used it in, in quite a while, obviously. I have no desire. I either use my iPhone or my 5D Mark IV. 
Uh, so again, I'd, I'd be I'd be very curious to have maybe the the A sixty five hundred to to try out because. Uh, for example, what I did was I sold my 5D Mark III, and in the events that I'm doing now where I'm I'm photographing the band kids and the color guard and all that kind of stuff, um, I really kind of miss having two lenses. Uh, it's a pain in the butt to switch in the middle of a performance, and so... Last weekend, I took my 5D Mark II, which I kept. I said, well, I'll keep my 5D Mark II as a backup. And when I started shooting with that and and looking at the results, I didn't shoot very much with it last week. Yeah. Uh, but I'm like, once you're used to the 5D Mark III and even the 5D Mark IV now and, and shooting with the AF system in the 5D Mark II, which was nine points. You know, I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> yeah, was, ridiculous. You know, nine nine little points in this diamond shape and half the photos I shot were out of focus and I'm like, uh, maybe I shouldn't have kept this as my backup. I mean, it works, but it would be, it would be nice to have something that was small and had a smallerish lens like the a 6,500 that I could use. And it, you know, it, when you go to a shoot and you got these two massive cameras hanging off of you, you look like a pro, right? But it's still bulky and a pain in the butt to have to switch Maybe if I had something like the 6500, it would be a simple thing to use. If I have to but go this... out and actually do a lot of photography, the LX100, it's it's a 24 to 75-ish to zoom range, and it, it's it got very snappy autofocus, 12 megapixel raw files. I mean, I can yeah. basically just have that in one hand and, and not be that photographer that has like a giant uh, L-series lens hanging off of the side of me on one side and the other side continually, you know, grabbing cameras and shooting. Yeah. Uh, do you do that? Do you like doing that? I mean, when you had your 5D Mark II, would you really, did you have like the vest and the hangers and stuff like that? Uh, when I was shooting, when I had the 5D 3 and the 5D 4, I was doing that uh, several weeks ago until I ended up selling the 5D3 um, simply because it's nice to be able to have that other lens, like a wide lens and a, and a zoom or whatever. So did you have the um, suit, the like the hanging suit? Actually, actually I'm trying no, to visualize you, you right now with, if, the... you, if you want to get into the geeking side of it, um, I had my backpack that I also have, and of course you catch me. Uh, I don't know if you Peak Design. If you've ever heard of Peak Design, I they have. do. Uh, they sent me uh, several of these attachment things. So anyway, long story short, I had both of them hooked to the straps of the backpack, so I could quickly switch just by unpopping one and blah 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 blah. So. Uh, I I I want to I I kind of want to get into something if you don't mind a little tangent here. Absolutely, um, go for it. Last night on Facebook, uh, one of my Facebook friends, uh, Jeff Foster, who's who's a video guy, posted on Facebook, and he he wants he the basic question was if you were in the market for a new video camera to shoot commercial and corporate videos. And he specifically suggested 1080p and not 4K. What system would you travel with with minimal futs and extra gear? 
Now, that's an easy I, one. I, I bring this up because it's we're we've you and I have talked about it several times recently about how many cameras there are on the market, and they all do almost everything maybe that you want, but not necessarily everything that you want. Like in specific example, the 5D Mark IV is great for photos, but not necessarily for video. Blah blah blah. So. So in reading through this list, people started popping in and answering this question, okay? So one guy says the FS7. The other says the FS5. Uh, Leo says any DSLR. Brian says the Canon XA10. Now, we talked about how nobody ever shoots with the Canon XA10, right? And now the 15. Uh, so... Then there's Sony F3, F5, uh, Barry, my good friend Barry. And by the way, Barry is starting a tour next week, which I just posted on Planet 5D. If you're interested in le learning some lighting here in the U.S., he's doing a tour. Um, look that up at Planet 5D. Awesome stuff. And Barry says the 5D Mark III. And I, I just let me keep going because this, this list slays me. Uh, C300 Mark II. C100 Mark II, A7S Mark II, uh, Canon DSLR, anything in a DSLR range, a T6i, <laughs> Sony NEX. I thought he said minimum fuss. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, we start getting into the debate about 4K versus 1080 because the he says, you know, the budget, there's this, it's low budget, the client just discovered YouTube, so 4K is probably 10 years out for them, which is late. <laughs> uh, the Sony EX1 is mentioned. Um, it, it just slays me. And there's another XA10. So two people mentioned XA10, by the way, in this list. And, and we all laughed at that camera, and yet here are people using it and recommending it. So... But the, my point being is that it's all over the place. It has to do with what you're used to, what you feel comfortable with, what your current environment is. And so if somebody says, and I haven't let you say your answer yet because you said it was simple, it just, I mean, if you ask Joe, he's going to tell you one thing. And if you go by that, it might not be the right thing for you. Um, I just found this particular question and all of the different answers fascinating because we're in this market now. I mean, you remember when the 5D Mark II was announced eight years ago, everybody's like, well, that's the only thing to buy. Right? Yeah. I mean, because everything else was so expensive. And now look at where we are in this market where we've got Sony and Panasonic. And somebody did mention the GH4, of course. Uh, Panasonic and Sony and Canon and Nikon. And <laughs> Nikon wasn't mentioned in this list. Uh, it's just phenomenal where we are in the market, and it's so freaking confusing. So what's your answer? So uh, you mentioned two things in there, easy use and the fact that you only need 1080p. And in that that demographic, man, the C100 is only about $1,500 used on eBay. Uh, you can go pick that up for really cheap. You don't need XLR audio adapters. You don't have to futz around with all the extra bits that you would have to use with the DSLR. Uh, if you want easy use, I, I would steer clear of DSLRs and GH4s in general because guess what? 
you're going to need an adapter for audio. You're going right. to need uh, mounts, rigs, whatever else to go along with that, extra screens, so on. Those things all add up to something that is a little bit more cumbersome and complicated. And if you still want the capability of an interchangeable lens, there you go. Now, if you don't care about interchangeable lenses, go even further down the scale to Canon's XA20, XA10, XA25, any of those cameras, they shoot just fine 1080p video, still have the XLR audio adapters, and will set you back around $900. And they're even cuter and tinier. They're in the Handycam market with a, a, a petite little handle, a flip-out screen, all the stuff you need in a video camera, and it's super affordable. Uh, if you want to travel light, why even mess around with lenses? I mean, unless you're trying to do something artistic or, or interesting, you know, if you're just doing corporate videos... Who cares if it's you don't have shower, shallow depth of field? You know, no one's going to be really excited about that. They they just want their video to look crisp and clean and go on the internet. There you go. And and those are cameras that are often under or overlooked in the market. Just simple video cameras. Even you can go get an FX three hundred five, I believe, or XF three hundred five, uh, which was Canon's top of the line news shooting camera about three or four years ago shoots excellent 1080p at a 305 megabit kodak i believe and that thing you can have it for nine or nine hundred to a thousand dollars a great camera great zoom range does an excellent job and you don't have to futz with anything you pull it out put a battery in last four to six hours shoot you're done bam yeah that's it and when you and I talk to film students on a regular basis, these kids, their professors, they don't get information as fast as they probably should. So they convey to these kids when they're making a little featurette or you know a little film for themselves, the only way to go is a DSLR. You know, you need to go get a <laughs> Canon 5D Mark III or Mark II and shoot your your next little film. Well, that's great, but the kids don't have the grasp of all the bits and pieces that go along with DSLR shooting, and they try to go out and shoot something and their audio turns out like crap or you know they don't have the right lenses but they have the camera body they need and they end up with you know poor looking image quality because they don't have the right combination well sometimes you don't need all the tools sometimes you just need a handy cam yep and a absolutely true and and i have to apologize by the way i got i got on that rant there and i confused the xa10 for the xc10 so there were two mentions of xa10 which you're right is the is a video camera and i was thinking the xc10 uh, okay which was the canon monstrosity that nobody but anyway so <laughs> so i was a little off there but you get my point there's so many letters and designators <laughs> now that it's easy to uh, even trying to remember some of the stuff from a couple years ago. Uh, it's it gets tough after a while. I was trying to think of Canon had a DV camera that was actually capable of 1080p that was very good, and people used to strap it to weird rigs to adapt to lenses and so on. And I think that was like uh, X. It was another VF or XV or something like that. And it, it's so close to one of the newer models that you could easily get that confused. I don't. I, I guess the the moral to take away from the story, and Mitch, I'm guessing you agree, is that you don't necessarily need the most expensive camera to do regular production work, especially if it's just on the spot news or you know corporate videos where it's a talking head in front of a desk. You know, you can get a little bit artistic if you want to, but is, yeah. it, it's not extremely necessary because these videos are extremely formulaic. Uh, a guy sitting down in a nice office with a window there to 
provide some natural light, talking about what exciting new product or, you know, business offering that they have to bring to the table. And then that's it, you know, a card at the beginning, a card at the end, and you're done. Maybe some scrolling text. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> fancy stuff, you know, and, yep. and if they're just discovering YouTube, that'll blow their mind. You know, you you have a graphic logo that spins in and turns around and plays some like really cheesy 80s style music to it. And they'll just be as excited as happy. I don't know, as clam, yeah. I guess. Yeah. All right. I'm sorry. I no, got off, a, yeah. off course there. I brought it up. I was the one that brought it up. So but I just, again, was just fascinated by the. There is no one answer at this point for what's the best camera. And and people ask that all the time. Well, and the, the other thing you got to remember is budget. What's your budget? Because right. if you have all the money in the world, get, you know, don't stop until you're number one. But if you're, if you're poor or you have a small amount of money to work with, a budget of a couple thousand dollars, you know, you really have to think about what you buy. And look used, guys. Look at used cameras. I know that is not popular opinion, but there are so many affordable cameras on eBay that you can get and uh, even resell. In fact, um, this GX8 that I've been playing around with, uh, someone on Craigslist is picking it up today for $700 from me, and I bought it for $550 on uh, $450, <laughs> nice. $400. I, I don't know. I bought it for a lot less than that, and uh, I managed to turn around and resell it. So that's going out of my collection t- to get another camera nice all right moving on let's talk about memory cards really quick uh this is a 64 gig offering from transcend and you'll notice that it has some rather nice read and write speeds it's claiming 250 meg read and 150 meg or 180 meg writes uh the interesting thing about this card in particular is that it's actually a uhs 2 and that was a standard that was developed uh, a couple years ago, uh, uh, I think 2011, if I am correct here. And that standard is just being implemented in cards, but we don't see that actually showing up in cameras yet. Uh, most of the cameras that use a XDSC or XDHC are capable of HUHS-1. <laughs> That's a lot of letters. And it, it's sort of frustrating. Uh, Mitch, what do you think about these memory cards? With this new standard uh, starting to show up in the cards themselves, is this going to be competition for the newer standard of cards that we're seeing in, uh, say, the uh, Canon 1D X Mark II or 1D? All the cameras <laughs> that are out there with letters and numbers that are using the new types of Compact Flash and SD, X, XD cards. But there aren't that many, are there? I no, mean, they're not. You, I was trying to think of it, and it's the one DC Mark II. I'm sorry, the one DX Mark II does have C fast in it. Yep, and uh, but it's a dual C fast, so it doesn't even have an SD option. And then the the uh, Nikon, um, what D5, I believe, has an XD and right. a C fast option. Is that correct? I don't recall. I was thinking it was two SD cards, but who knows? Uh, yeah, I think they offer two flavors of the uh, D5. One of them comes with a CFast and an XD, and the other one is a CFast and an S, uh, SD. But, but, but let, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm going to cut you off. No, no problem. So, so I guess the, I, I ran into this question the other day. Of course, People are still complaining about the 5D Mark IV not using CFast. And 
I I understand Cannon's motives there, I believe, for, for not forcing people to go buy big, fancy new cards. And I don't particularly care about new cards. But one of the things that uh, was brought up in one of the chats I was in was that there are some professionals who like the data to come off the cards very fast. And that's where the speed goals are, is to have things get off faster. Now I've started using Lightroom. I know that's shocking. Uh, for, I Well, I'm, I'm still starting. I'm just starting. Because I've been using Aperture since the day it came out. Um, and I'm, I'm actually taking a class on how to use Aperture because I didn't want to... It's very different than, than, I'm sorry, class on Lightroom. Uh, it's very different than Aperture is. And I just, I've gotten to the age where I'd rather have somebody who knows what the hell they're doing to just give me the ins and outs quickly as opposed to trying to learn it on my own, which is a whole other story. But I've been very surprised at how slow freaking Lightroom is in doing imports compared to Aperture. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, Aperture is so much faster in getting the data in and out. Now, I I understand that Lightroom's, depending upon how you have it set up, to convert to DNGs on the way in. But even when I don't do convert to DNGs, if I just tell it to do straight copies, it's much slower than Aperture is reading the same card. And I've, I haven't done a side-by-side -side test yet, uh, but because Aperture doesn't read the new CR2s. <laughs> uh, but and I don't know if it ever will, which is kind of one of the reasons why I'm going to Lightroom. But <laughs> I'm just, I typically for my usage, speed isn't a big deal. And so I get away with the cheapest cards I can. But I understand there are a lot of people that, you know, if you're in a press situation or, you know, sports photographers that have deadlines to get updates out, it would be really great to have the new cards. But the biggest issue, as you say, that getting back to what your question was, is that none of the cameras support these things yet, right? I mean, we even have H.265 as a compression method, and none of the cameras support that except for one, the NEX. One of the NEXs, I think, does H.265. Yeah. Uh, but, the uh, NEX500 and NEX1, maybe. I knew you would know. Uh, but anyway, so it's great that all these new... But, but part of the confusion now comes... And I, and I see it in all the 5D Mark IV threads that I've been involved in. Uh, which card do I buy? Because people are going out and buying the big-ass fancy new cards because they think they need the big cards for the, you know, the mm. M-Motion JPEG. And I'm like, no, just go buy the Sony Extreme Pro, which is a UHS-1 because the, the reader, the, you can't do the UHS two and three and twelve in the new in the camera, so because it's so confusing because people don't they think an SD card is an SD card, right? Or well, and that, that's card. the thing: the uh, new UHS two cards look identical to the UHS one cards, and they boast these incredible read and write speeds. But unless your camera is compatible with UHS two, you're basically only using one out of the two read-write channels that are capable of speeding that card up and doubling the speed. So a regular Extreme Pro card, which these 128 gig cards are down to, I think, 60 bucks or less, uh, you can do video all day long with one of these in a 5D 
Mark IV, and it's slower read and write speeds than the new UHS uh, 2. And we won't see those probably implemented in cameras until the next generation, which it took 11 years, or uh, took from 2011, not 11 years, it took, it took five <laughs> years from the, the creation of the standard to where we actually started seeing cards. And it'll probably take another couple of years before we actually see those cards being used in devices, because guess what? I mean, I'm sitting here at my desk right now, and let me pile these up for you, because I, I just was emptying off memory cards. Here are... A pile of memory cards that I own right here. Look at this. This is this is a whole bunch of them, and I have all these. Why in the heck would I choose a device that I can't use uh, these cards for when I have twenty or thirty of them laying around? And if you're wondering, most of those were sixty-four or one hundred and twenty-eight gig cards. I've invested. You know that probably represents three hundred or four hundred dollars worth of memory cards. And yep. if they work, what the heck am I going to do with a new? fancier flavor of card it's just a waste of money for me if i can get away with continuing to use these cards and and that's one of the reasons why canon left the card choices that they have on the 5d mark fours because of, there is so much investment um it goes back to things even like the difference between dvds and blu-rays right i mean we're still in a situation where blu-rays not taking off because everybody's got so many DVDs and DVD players that, that, you know, it's even though the, the resolution is better in, in Blu-ray and that's a whole nother topic. But let me ask you a question. <laughs> Do you have any software? And I, this is a semi plug, by the way. Uh, have you looked into a software called hedge H E D G E? No. What? Tell me um, more. It's, it's a really nice tool. Astro just fell down. Sorry, Astro. Uh, it's a really nice tool. Uh, and and I don't, maybe I've forgotten. Do they have a Windows version? Maybe they don't have a Windows version. Maybe I shouldn't tell you about this. <laughs> I've forgotten. Um, it's just a great little tool to uh, do copies. So if you have, for example, if you normally, if you suck in everything off of your card and then instantly do a copy to another device. That's a two-step process. Uh, Hedge has the ability for you to set up a process where you ask it to import a card and it will make multiple copies to multiple sources and do checksums and verify that each file. And it's, it's just a great little utility that I've started using, uh, they are currently advertising on Planet 5D, so that is a plug there. But uh, it's a very nice tool, and, and Cinema 5D has done a review, a really nice review of it. If you want to go look up Hedge, uh, they have a great little review. Uh, it's just a process, a tool to import, because I've always worried about bringing stuff in, and then you have to copy it to another device or this, you know, because I know out in the field, some people will do multiple copies. Yeah. While they're out in the field, then it, and then you have, you know, it's a two or three step process to get a card imported. And if you have a tool that does all of that stuff for you, it's kind of nice. For Windows users, I actually use TerraCopy, 
or I used to use TerraCopy until Windows uh, copying functions got good enough that I don't really care anymore. Uh, but <laughs> in the early days of Windows 7, sometimes you would copy files over and then you'd go to open them and they would be corrupted. Oh, and nice. it wouldn't do a checksum when it was copying. So if you deleted the stuff off your memory card, you could potentially lose stuff. Uh, using TerraCopy, it does checksums on everything that's copied off of the card to somewhere else. It can do uh, backup copies to multiple locations and other very handy features that... Uh, you don't normally get out of uh, a regular copy and paste on Windows, including resuming. So if a card for some reason gets disconnected or whatever, it can pick up where it left off and start copying again. And that's that's extremely handy if you're trying to manage uh, multiple backups, as Mitch mentioned. Uh, myself, in in the old days, I used to really... Uh, make sure I backed up to a bunch of different locations. Now what I generally do, and it's probably sloppy on my part, but uh, I leave the stuff on the cards because card memory is is so cheap, and then I copy it over to a, a hard drive right away. And uh, that's enough for me because I can send the cards with someone, take the hard drive with me. I have multiple locations, multiple backups. And in worst case scenario, someone has to mail me an SD card for $1.50 to send me back my footage if I need it. <laughs> you know, and uh, the memory cards have gotten so cheap now. A uh, 128 gig uh, Transcend card, which is the brand I generally use in my GH4 and A7S Mark II, you can buy those for 40 bucks. So, you know, you send one of those out, you put $40 on your bill, don't even worry about it, and buy another one. And that's why when I was picking up this pile, I was cleaning off cards. I have probably seven or eight Transcend 128-gig SD cards laying around on my desk right now just because (laughs) they're so affordable. Uh, Is that the right way to go? No. Back up your stuff as much as possible. (laughs) Don't do what I do. I haven't lost anything. Knock on glass here, but uh, the other thing to check out, um, if you do corrupt a a card for some reason, and uh, this does occasionally happen if you're transferring cards from, say, a GH4 to an A7S Mark II where they write this weird, uh, Sony writes some sort of weird table every time you plug a card into it. Uh, If you corrupt something by accident, Disk Digger is what I use to recover stuff off of corrupted memory cards. it will give you some weird stuff because if it can't find the data, it will fill in the blanks uh, of the video. <laughs> so you may end up with a video clip that has some like weird blue squares or something like that at the end of it where the video corrupted or if for some reason the, the file doesn't turn kit, uh, truncate when it's uh, creating multiple 4-gig chunks, something like that. Uh, it'll fix it for you. And a lot of times you can get enough of the footage back that you can salvage your shot uh and that's happened to me once or twice over the years it's 35 dollars to pay for it and it's a lifetime uh, you know uh, purchase so once you have it you can upgrade anytime you want uh you don't use it very often but having it there for the price is totally worth it and it, it definitely a great rescue tool even for images as well sully in the chat room which says uh use photo rec it's free, and Tony Northrup has shown that 99% of the recovery programs out there use it to recover the data. So it, that's interesting. So it's free. Huh. Photo Rec. Photo Rec. Never heard of it. I, I do not uh, promote that, but uh, if it works, awesome. I'd love to check it out. Now, <laughs> we got a couple more things in the news before we get we out do? of here. We've, oh. uh, we've got to this thing. I, I don't know if you really even care, Mitch. but I don't care. I put it in the show notes anyway. <laughs> 
Uh, Canova, the company that's well known for making sliders, has created a 360 degree uh, gimbal system for GoPros that can support multiple cameras, 6, 11, or 13 GoPros, and the price range of $2,500. The interesting bit here is actually that they're providing a gimbal system for a 360-degree setup. It looks pretty nice. It's expensive. Do we need this? I don't really know, but it's out there. Uh, If you got $2,500, you got anything to add on that one? Um, Well... I mean, my my first thought is, why on God's green earth is anybody creating something like this? Because there are so many 360-degree single cameras. Yeah, but, but are they on gimbals? No, they're, well, they're not necessarily on gimbals. And they're not probably bringing in the kind of resolution that you would get off of 12 to 6 or whatever individual cameras. They typically are lower resolution um, and so I don't know if you're doing a 360 thing, doesn't, if you're doing it handheld, don't you end up getting in the picture a whole bunch and isn't that defeat part of the purpose? I think if you're underneath of it, uh, the overlapping camera shots can mask you out. There's a dead zone at the bottom and the top of the orb shaped capture. Uh, that's why if you okay. look at the 360 degree videos, on youtube a lot of times you can't see the stand that's actually right. holding up the cameras it's because that's kind of the the area that's out of range uh so they warp that out yeah and this you know nokia i remember remember the i think it was the osmo yes the their their 360 degree filmmaking revolution that had a lot of high-res cameras in it and guess what uh, it, they dropped the price by half recently because no no one's <laughs> no one's even renting them Have they really yeah it's it's been uh, uh not nearly as popularly received as they expected yikes and uh, I, I don't know i it, I continually complain about 360-degree video, and I don't think it's a thing. Quit trying to make it a thing. People, it's not that great. Uh, Maybe it will be at some point in the future when VR is ubiquitous, but until then, no. Stay away from it. Uh, I don't know. Just just say no. Exactly. It's the next 3D. I mean, really, uh, if you want to be excited about something, be excited about the HDR that's coming down the line with the new rec standards. Uh, we're starting to actually see 4K televisions that have HDR built in that are fairly reasonably priced in the 2000 and under range. Uh, but 360-degree video, even if you had really high-quality 360-degree video, what compelling content are you watching? Uh, you want to watch, you know, I don't know, X Games? Great. Is somebody really going to strap a 360-degree camera to their head so that they can race? No, because it's going to screw up the race. Uh, right. You know, are you, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, there are referees, referees in NFL games are going to wear them. Yes, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> See it from the ground so you can complain about those calls just like yeah. everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on down the line, Mitch, I think we have a giveaway this week. Is that correct? Yeah, we do. Well, yes. Yes, we do. Um, the Freddie Wong edition of the uh, Sackler Ace tripod is up for grabs through this coming Saturday. Not tomorrow, but a week from today. So you still got an additional week to suck one of these guys down. It's uh, $885 retail and uh, go to, oh, the chat room. Isn't it lovely? <laughs> I know. I saw that. Uh, 
sorry. Uh, so, so this is why you should join in and live. You get to j enjoy the chat room, and I'm not going to even raise that that conversation. So, anyway, the Sackler <laughs> Freddie Wong Limited Edition. Uh, go to planet5d.com/giveawaynoob to enter and share that with your friends because the more entries you gain, the better chances you have to win. All right, last couple of things on the news list before we get out of here. I wanted to talk about, real quick, uh, uh, Sam Young. We've heard about autofocus lenses that are moving into both the Sony and even possibly some Micro Four Thirds applications. Now we're going to start seeing, apparently, Canon and Nikon uh, AF systems in their lenses. Uh, this isn't the first time we've seen this. There was that really weird... Uh, 50 millimeter f1.8 and 35 millimeter f2 sort of strange clone lens from Yongyo, which I think makes their stuff in the same factories as Sam Young. And, uh, you know, the names sound close, so pr that that definitely is fact. It's uh, not not wrong at all. Uh, it might be wrong. Um, <laughs> but, but it's yet another company moving into the AF game uh, with both Nikon and Canon. Uh, Mitch, if they have any compelling lenses to offer, uh, mainly for me, the 14-millimeter uh, f2.8 looks pretty sexy. Uh, would you Would you buy one? I'm I'm starting to get more and more interested in lenses all the time, DJ. Um, I I it's fun to be able to go out and shoot stuff. Speaking of lenses, guess what I have in my hot little hands? What is I that? I have the Tokina Ooh. seventeen to thirty-five f four Pro VFX FV or XV. It's kind of cool. Um, so what, one of the things they're doing, and I, a slight plug here, and I know I'm getting off topic, and I just smashed the lens hood into the – anyway. <laughs> um, so it's it, – what they've done is they've taken their 17 to 35, which they've had out for a while, and if you see this on video, what do you see right there? They've added a, a gear so you can do focus pulling. Yeah, so they're trying to go after the video market a little bit by adding the gear automatically – um, and they do have the system where, uh, if you want to turn off autofocus, you just simply, uh, pull, Click it. yeah, it pulled forwards and back on that, which is kind of cool. Uh, but I'm testing that. So rather interesting little lens. So, but it is an autofocus for, uh, Canon. Is that, otherwise... that's full frame, right? Uh, cause yes. the F2.8 was their crop sensor and the F4 is full frame. Yes, okay. it is full frame. So I'm I'm enjoying that. It, it's taking some really sharp pictures. I was down at the arch uh, the other day, uh, testing that out. Um, and we'll get into more detail about it later. I didn't want to totally sidetrack, but I wanted you to know that yes, I'm finally getting into some different lenses. While you're uh, on the show and tell market, here is the uh, Sony <laughs> 16 to 35 millimeter f4 for the A7S. I've now in two zooms and and three primes for uh, the FE mount bodies and uh, excellent price on this. Uh, I want to thank uh, one of the fans of the show, Richard, who uh, hooked me up with some stuff that his company was getting rid of. Uh, gave me a really great price on this. So nice. I keep moving in more and more into the Sony camp and uh, lenses, Mitch, you know me. I mean, look, look behind <laughs> me here. There are piles of lenses. I've got them stacked all over the place, just laying around like candy. 
So what's what's the biggest thing that appeals to you when you're looking for a lens? Is it sharpness? Is it uh, chromatic aberration? You know, there's what is it? I generally any camera body I buy, um, I like to go for three primes. Something that's a little bit wider, maybe a 24 equivalent. I like a, a 50 millimeter equivalent and a, a you know 85 or 100 or a 135, something that has a lot of reach. And then a, a standard zoom. As far as image quality and so on, you know, if it looks good to my eye, I'm happy with it. So <laughs> I don't really sit there and, and pixel peep. Oh man, you know, the, the admiration on this is, you know, I'm getting purple fringing everywhere. The barrel distortion is the worst. I can't handle it. No, it's, is it so sharp? Well, honestly, I shoot a lot of video. So right. does sharpness really apply? Not so much. Um, and a lot of the people in the chat room were complaining earlier about the, uh, uh, 4k from Sony cameras isn't true 4k. Well, that's actually fairly accurate. You know, you don't get the resolution that you do out of some of these higher end cameras. So if the lens in front of it isn't perfect, that's fine. Uh, is the a seven line of F four lenses, the 16 to 35 I got and the uh, 24 to 70, uh, very good at F four. No, actually they're a little soft. <laughs> they're not that great. They're uh, especially for something that has Zeiss stamped on it. Um, they're no sharper. I would say less sharp than the twenty-four to one hundred five Canon lens offering. Uh, to be fair, but they're native. They fit. Autofocus is fine. I'm shooting eight megapixel stills on the A7S, so the resolution is such that I don't even notice that they're not the sharpest things <laughs> in the bunch, and that's okay for me, especially when they're in the five to six hundred dollar price range. Um, when you start spending $2,000 on a 24 to 70, uh, Mark II from Canon, you really want that thing to just knock it out of the park because yep. you just spent a crap load of money on a single lens. And, it, and when you say knock it out of the park, you mean image want, quality? Yeah, I want everything. If, everything. You know, if you're buying a Cadillac, you don't want to get a Cadillac that, I mean, I don't know if, are Cadillacs fancy cars anymore? I don't even know. But if you're buying a very fancy car and you sit down and you don't have heated seats, it's like, why am I even doing this? What's right. wrong with it? You know, right. because you're spending all the money for all the features. And if you don't get all the features, then what's the point? If you're budgeting a little bit and you're buying a cheaper lens or whatever, and, and maybe there's a little bit of purple fringing at certain angles or, you know, lens flare isn't under perfect control. Well, you only spent two or three hundred dollars on that lens. That's completely acceptable behavior for a lens in that price range. Now, you quadruple that price and put a stamp on it that says Zeiss, for example, that better be top notch because right. you just spent all the money. And if all the money doesn't buy you the best image quality possible out of a lens of whatever focal length, then you are getting, uh, what was, what, you remember the brick that they're selling, the Supreme brick? That's, uh, it's just one like brick that they sell for four or $500? No. No, you're getting a brick. They're, they're, they're <laughs> wasting your money. Uh, if you haven't looked it up, there's a company, the fashion company in England, that is selling a brick right now that is stamped with Supreme. And if you were to build a small house out of it, it would cost you around $4 million because nice. each brick is so expensive. Uh, and that's basically what I would call a very expensive lens that sucks is a brick. It's a waste of money. Well, why, do you, why would you do that? So I don't know, Mitch, what about you? Would you, do you care if your lenses are the sharpest, if you're getting a good price on them? Well, that's, that's one of my rants been lately. Um, and I don't think I've done it on the show. And Akeem in the chat room says the same thing. Sharpness is so overrated. 
some of the some of the bloggers I've been watching recently, uh, video guys on YouTube, whatever, just goes insane over sharpness. And I know that that's one of the first things I look at in an image. If it's like a photograph of you, I want to make sure your eyes are in focus, right? Do I have to see every freaking eyelash? It's kind of cool if I do, but uh, <laughs> the viewers don't care. I keep going back to the viewers. Uh, when people are so used to taking iPhone selfies, if they get a photo of themselves that's awesome and looks good and maybe slightly out of focus, they don't care. Uh, so I'm I'm a little bit off the sharpness train, uh, but I do... I do expect good quality. I don't want my lens to fall apart. I don't want it to instantly fog up if it gets a tiny bit of little rain on it. Um, I I don't want it to drop or break when I drop it. Although they will, you know, of course. <laughs> uh, How many lenses so, do you drop, Mitch? I mean, well, I I don't know if you remember, but I did drop my seventy to two hundred IS oh, Canon yeah, I L. Oh, now I remember. <laughs> okay, never mind. And spent a thousand dollars getting it repaired. <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, um, but, but realistically, uh, you know, I, and I, I, the other thing Sully said, by the way, when I asked the question in the chat room, I think it was Sully, uh, that was, uh, Sully said character and image quality and Akeem said color rendition and contrast. So there, there are certainly very valuable, valuable assets of lenses besides sharpness um and of course you want one that does everything perfectly if you're spending the big bucks and if you're not like you said if you're not spending the big bucks you understand that you're going to have some limitations but as photographers most of the time we can use lightroom or aperture to fix a many of those problems anyway so the other thing to know. think about uh and and this is pretty popular the old nikor and uh, even FD lenses, if you're shooting on yeah. a uh, body that is capable of the flange distance, they'll provide you with interesting, beautiful-looking images that aren't necessarily the sharpest thing in the world. Uh, you know, your center sharpness may be good at f1.4 or f1.2, but your corner sharpness on, say, and I mentioned this in the chat room, the 55-millimeter f1.2 FD lens can be had for around $300. A great little lens has its own unique look to it, uh, but it it's not that sharp. Is it ugly? No. Did the image come out of it look awful? No, absolutely not. They look great. It's just that it has its own personality. And even there's a, um, I believe, I might have mentioned this on the show before, the Dog dog Shit Optics, is that uh -huh. the name of the company? They literally go in and, like, screw up your lens, you know, take coating off of it and so on. And people love that stuff. Uh, lens flare, I mean, look at some of the J.J. Uh, Abrams stuff that's come out in recent years. <laughs> I mean, they, they, they don't care about controlling lens flare and fact they add it to every shot if at all possible uh, yep. i mean you, know, you, you can't do that all the time but uh, well the, he can yeah, <laughs> if, yeah if you can get away with it every shot more power to you but what i'm saying is those lenses have personality and even if the personality doesn't uh, equate to the perfect color rendition or the perfect sharpness across the entire image or whatever else they look good, and if you like that style, I mean, it's whatever you're you're searching for. And if you can't afford more expensive f one two lenses, but you really want to have that depth of field, the f one two, go for a cheapo lens. It's still not that bad. It's not horrible. And 
you're not going to be pixel peeping that much if you're on a budget like that anyway. Uh, yeah. One of the most popular posts we've ever had on Planet 5D that, uh, and I think I've mentioned this before, but a, f a friend of mine, I've never met him face to face, but you know, in, on the internet, we can say we're friends. Uh, Timur, Timur, I can't say it right, Timur, T-I-M-U-R, Sivan, from New York, went into a lens shop and found a 102-year-old lens, and he had the guy that works there put a uh, Canon EF mount on the back of this lens. Ooh. And it's one of the most one of the most popular posts on the Planet 5D website still to this day is that the look that he got out of those photos is phenomenal and he turned around and made a video out of it. So, uh I'll I'll dig up the link and put them in the show notes, but uh there's there's a lot to be said for sexy old lenses. <laughs> Not everything has to be new, right? Now, just be careful, guys, because some of those older lenses, uh, they use radiation internally to uh, work, coat work, some work. of that stuff. And so you that's why they have a metal <laughs> cover for a lens cap is to protect you from the exposure that may eventually give you cancer. So nice. Good morning there, PJ. Oh, uh, one more thing here before we go, and I wanted to just mention this as a warning to those of you who do have Sigma Primes. Uh, there is a compatibility issue announced uh, from Sigma. This is the press release, uh, basically EOS 5D Mark IV owners. Uh, if you have a Sigma lens that was produced prior to, uh, let me see if I got the date here. I do not have the date. So if you might want to check to see if your Sigma Primes uh, work with your 5D Mark IV if you plan on upgrading or you have a bunch of those. Uh, you can update the lens using Sigma's little adapter, the USB port adapter, to fix the firmware on the lenses, or you can take it into a shop to have that taken care of. But uh, in certain modes, including the lens correction function and some other things, you will end up with some issues with those lenses so keep that in mind well, uh, uh, it, and it's not just them by the way that's the only one that's actually been announced oh are there more well well even even this tokina that i have uh if you have the peripheral illumination protection or whatever it's called on the 5d mark IV, per peripheral illumination correction i said that um i i was getting these really wild halos on everything oh really um, yeah so and i wrote them and they said well yeah you just have to turn that off i don't think they have a firmware update for this uh but so you you there are certain incompatibilities with the 5d mark IV. i believe tamron has the same uh press release kind of thing out there so you mo you probably need to just turn most of those things off anyway and do your correction in in lightroom because Lightroom can fix most of those things. Yeah, and uh, Lightroom's really good about detecting your lens and then correcting automatically. You don't really need to yeah. do it in camera. Although, I will say that having all your Canon lenses programmed into your 5D Mark III or IV is really nice when you just, you know, you go in and it's already pre-corrected. You don't even have to worry about messing around with it in Lightroom. It, it figures yep. it out and transfers that. And, and it does a good job, too. Uh, I can't complain, but uh, I can complain because I just <laughs> Mitch, I, no. I do have these lights in here, but do you even care about really durable lights that have yet to Absolutely. be released? Absolutely. Really? And, and, as, and, and let me put it to you this way. Uh, dang. Subvids, way back at the beginning of the chat, says, any chance for a bit of chat about portable lights for portraits? 
Ah. So I remembered that he said that in the chat room. So, yes, people do care. So let's talk about it quickly. All right. Well, this is uh, from the company Fomex, a a Korean company. They are making these heavy-duty, very uh, well-created lights. They already have a diffuser built in. Uh, Their CRI is, I believe, 96%. And the the other version of CRI that I can't remember off the top of my head that's like (laughs) LRCRI is uh, 98%. So very good quality light. Uh, They're capable of tungsten as well as other light temperatures and they're dialable they're made out of uh, cast aluminum and uh, they're they've got a protective ring around it as you can see here from the image that uh, protects the controllers Uh, they charge in about two and a half hours and last up to seven hours on their internal battery and continue to run off of the usb port if you want to plug a battery into them Uh, very decent looking lights no word yet on pricing uh, but as far as portable lights for portraits go i guess the question would be whether you want uh, flash or whether you want continuous lighting, especially if you're if you're just doing uh, uh, photography. Some photographers don't like to mess around with continuous lighting; they prefer right. strobes. So I, uh, that's really up to you. I personally, and I've got one right behind me. It's actually lighting the wall. I uh, see this circle right here. This is a flapjack. <laughs> uh, very good CRI. I believe it's ninety six or ninety eight percent. They're about two hundred dollars. Uh, they last for three to four hours on an NP style battery. Uh, they put out a very spread soft light, uh, that's good without being very harsh. However, they aren't very high contrast. So if you're looking for something with high contrast, you know, really sharp pointy light, uh, you're not going to get it out of one of those cause it's very diffused. Um, other than that, Mitch, I mean, uh, strobes, Really, uh, depending on how much money you want to spend and what camera company you're using, uh, the 580 series from the EX 580 series from Canon is older, uh, but you can get a 2.4 gigahertz wireless controller system for that with ETTL and get three or four of those for about $200 a pop and really create some fantastic shots. Or if you really have the money, uh, some of those light stand mounted, uh, what is it? is it? Shark, the company that makes the really nice big strobes, Mitch, do you remember? No. No? You don't remember. Okay. <laughs> it's been a while since I've been in a photo studio to have to do that, but uh, um, the triggers, Yongio uh, makes some really affordable triggers that I would argue are better than uh, some of the other companies that are of higher merit. Uh, you can buy their 2.4 gigahertz ETTL systems that work with both Nikon and Canon cameras for about 200 bucks for a pack of four. And uh, you can basically program those for A, B, C, and D strobe flashing, and you can set the power of each of those groups uh, in your camera as long as it supports ETTL. And in order to, you know, have a brighter light here and a lower light here, and if you go with the cheaper strobes or cheaper flash heads, uh, sometimes they misfire. They don't fire at the brightness that you send the information to them at, and uh, it can be irritating. <laughs> so if you can, buy the used EX580s or the 480s, or if you really have the money, the 600 series, I believe, is the, the current line of Canon ETTL flashes. Uh, hopefully that helps. I'll tell you something that I am interested in, which I have still uh, been trying to get a hold of, is Rotolite. I don't know if you know the guys at Rotolite. I don't. Um, if you look up the Innova Pro, 
which is a large, uh, it's about, I don't know, twice the size of my head. Uh, it's a large, large light with barn doors. Uh, it's about a thousand bucks, I think. But it is, it's an LED light. And I saw this at NAB that is the first LED light that has flash sync in it. So you can use this either as a constant light or as a flash, which is, I think this is the first one I've seen uh, that does that. So it's this not guy right cheap. here? Yeah. $1,500. Is it $1,599? Yeah. Um, yeah. I did, didn't say it was cheap, uh, <laughs> but it, but it's, if you're looking for a large studio light, you're going to be spending some big bucks for many of them anyway. But this is the first one I know of that's an LED that does both continuous and flash. I know if uh, you're so. if you're really uh, good with Craigslist, um, there's a lot of photographers that set up very expensive <clears throat> booths and then end up going either bankrupt or losing their space. And you can sometimes sweep in and buy an entire strobe set or flash set for very affordable prices. Uh, you know, something that would set you back thirty grand could be had for five or six grand. Uh, it's unfortunate that you are uh, feeding off the corpses of uh, other photographers, <laughs> but uh, on the other side, if you get a good deal, it may make yeah. your business yeah, more yeah, viable. Yeah. Sully, by the way, in the chat room says that the Innova Pro is freaking amazing. So, anyway. <laughs> I tend to be cheap with my light. Not I super know. cheap. What? DJI? DJ is cheap? Not not super cheap, but the the thing is, is uh, I travel a lot, and yeah, having well, sure. lights that are compact and do the job, and then just being able to crank the ISO up on something like the A7S Mark II has made me sort of a lazy filmmaker. So I carry uh, four of those flapjacks around. I used to carry before that uh, the uh, um, I think they're Swisstronics Thunderbolts, and those yeah. were capable of putting out about uh, 200 watts equivalent of light. And now the flapjacks are skinnier, smaller, and more uh, travel-friendly, so I've moved to those. And it's super nice to just be able to have a four-light kit in your bag and not take up a lot of space. I'm not going to travel ever with giant light bulbs, uh, having broken light bulbs in your kit. Especially, I tried nice. traveling with some HMIs, and uh, it, it did not turn out well. Uh, don't... Don't don't do that. It's it's you're just gonna break stuff unless you have the proper uh, flight bags and everything else for it. Uh, and then light bulbs are expensive. So good job, DJ, for learning that the hard way. Uh, <laughs> all right, uh, no more talking about my failings. We've got most of this covered, what? Mitch. Anything else you want to get at before we get out? Uh, take take a look if you're interested in the training. Um... Practicallighting.com, I think, is what Barry's link is. I didn't look it up before we got here, so I apologize. Practical Lighting Tour. Uh, Barry Anderson, Practical Light Tour. Look that up. Um, <laughs> sorry, Barry. Uh, it starts next week and goes through December 15 or 20 cities in the United States. Uh, and don't forget about the giveaway over at Planet 5D with the uh, Sackler Ace Tripod. Planet5D.com slash giveaway noob is the link for that. 
All right. On that note, guys, you can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and anywhere podcasts are distributed. You can find me at DSLR Film Noob on Twitter, at DSLRFilmNoob.com for the website. And, of course, I am rambling around on YouTube as One Lone Dork. Uh, you can also, uh, if you look really carefully on Amazon, you might even be able to find some cheese ball reviews that I do of random stuff that... Uh, uh, you know, and when I buy something, I want to complain about it. There's a lot of one stars in there, uh, hurting business reputations everywhere. Mitch, where can people find you? <laughs> I'm on uh, planet5d.com and I'm holding up my 5D Mark IV because Capture Media wanted me to hold it up one more time because it's a sexy beast. <laughs> planet Mitch, uh, everywhere on social media is, is me, planetmitch.com. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for watching, and we will see you next time on another episode of DSLR Film Noob 